Well, it is good to be with everybody here in the worship center, everybody in the chapel, all of you who are joining us online. If we've not met, my name is Merle. My joy to serve as lead pastor here. We love helping people on their journey to uh, faith in Christ, and if we can help you, it would be our privilege to do so. If you're online, just uh, chat with one of our hosts there in the chapel, if you'll just talk to one of the pastors, and then here in the worship center, soon as the service is over with, right toward the very back of the middle door, there'll be some friends there that would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, questions that you might have about our church, or about uh, how you can get plugged in. So let me start off with um, an apology. Last week, I mentioned something about the Chiefs winning and said, sure enough, if I were to mention that they were going to win, some of you would accuse me of jinxing them. I don't believe in jinxes. I just believe they didn't play good enough. So, I have no comments at all about the game today. None at all. Another thing I'm going to apologize for is last week I said, come back this week and we're going to do something that we've never done before in the life of the church. You remember me saying that? Did some of you come back because you were expecting that? Didn't think so. And so anyway, you're going to have to wait. It'll happen at some point in the future. We've never done it in the life of the church before, but you just keep coming back week after week. And I'm telling you, within about a month or five, we're probably going to get around to doing that very thing. Listen, I want to say to you, thank you for your generosity. We, uh, we voluntarily give around here our tithes and our offerings to the life of the church because we feel, feel compelled by grace to do so. And I want you to know, last Sunday evening, if you didn't have a chance to come, you could have seen your giving at work as we had an opportunity to celebrate some of the things that God's doing in our next-gen ministry. We got to talk about what we're believing God for in the days ahead, and we got to witness uh, six folks being baptized, uh, seven folks being baptized, six of them planned, one spontaneous. It was awesome. It was awesome. And some of you have wondered, uh, I want to participate in giving. How do I go about doing that? You can give online if you want to do that. You can give electronically. Uh, we don't pass the plate, but we've got offering boxes in the back and as you exit. And so if God leads you to give, we encourage you to do so. One more thing before we jump into the message. Every now and then we have individuals on our staff who serve for long periods of time and then uh, they choose to retire in order to go do some other things that are significant and meaningful. And so uh, this past week, uh, we said goodbye to uh, the best receptionist any church in America has ever had, <laughs> Yvonne Power, after 16 years, has retired so that she can serve her family. And so I know you in the chapel are probably giving her a standing ovation right now, but we're so, so appreciative. So if you know Yvonne, would you make sure and tell her how much you appreciate the service that she has given to us in the life of the church? If you'll come back next week, I might be, <laughs> I'm going to keep going back to this. Um, we're actually going to launch a brand new sermon series called How Shall We Now Live? Or how now shall we live? And 
If you've ever had questions, which I know you have because I've had these questions too, in all of the chaotic confusion that's going on in our world, especially over the past 18 months to two years regarding cancel culture, regarding race, regarding civility, regarding gender, I hope that you'll come back over next several weeks where we're going to take a biblical view of those pressing matters and hear how we can respond to them biblically and live now as followers of Jesus in a really conspicuous and winsome way. So I hope that you'll come back next week for that. Now we've been spending the past four weeks talking about generations and we've continued to use this metaphor of the Christian race is, uh, Christian life is often like a relay race. And we've been talking about generations and how We're here today because there were generations before us who were faithful in running the race God set before them, and they passed the baton on, they passed the baton on, they passed the baton on, and we have received the baton of faith, and it is our responsibility to run the race that is before us so that we can pass it on to the next generation. If you know anything about relay races, uh, it is a team sport, but it does require the individuals on the team running their leg of the race to their very best ability to run it with all that they have if they hope their team hopes to stand a chance to win. So what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on your individual race as a part of the relay team. We're going to talk about what is the responsibility that we have to do our part to run all out, flat out for Christ so that when we hand the baton off, it's going to be a baton that is faithfully held and faithfully given. Paul wrote some letters, and one of the letters he wrote was to a church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was not an um, exemplary church. It was a church that was marked with all kinds of problems, all kinds of challenges, both relationally, both doctrinally, uh, both morally. They had all kinds of challenges. They were followers of Jesus, but they experienced some significant challenges. One of the challenges they had is how do we live our life in relationship with one another? How do we live in such a way that we don't do anything to hinder people from coming to faith or hinder newer people to the faith from advancing forward in the faith. The Corinthians loved athletics. As a matter of fact, in Corinth, about 10 miles away from Corinth, they would often have the Isthmian Games. And one time, Paul happened to be there in 51 AD. He was there from like 50 to 52 AD. The Isthmian Games happened in the spring of AD 51. And he utilized the games as an opportunity to talk about how do we live for Christ flat out so that others can be won to Christ and so that new people in the faith won't be discouraged at all by our behavior from following Jesus fully. Now, in these games, there were several events, six of them. There was wrestling, there was jumping, there was discus throwing, and then there was javelin throwing and boxing, and racing. And so Paul uses that metaphor to talk about what is it like to live flat out for Christ. And Paul in particular, I'm giving you the context and then we're going to jump in. In particular, Paul was saying he willingly 
sacrificed his own rights as an apostle, as a person who had biblical, God-given authority in the life of the church, he willingly was sacrificing those kinds of rights for the sake of others, and he's encouraging Christians like us to do the same. So before we jump in, here's a question to start with. What are you willing to sacrifice in order that people who do not know Christ could come to know Christ through your witness? What is it that you're willing to forsake in order that people who are brand new in the faith would in no way be stumbled up by the kind of freedom that you exercise? How well are you running your leg of the race so that you can pass on a positive influence to the next generation? So what we're going to do is we're going to let Paul be our trainer. And He's going to give us four exercises to help us run flat out to win for Christ. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul wants us to know that there is a race that God has in front of us, and this is how we go about doing it. So if you're taking notes, what's the first exercise? Run to the end to win. Run to the end to win. He says in verse 24, everybody who goes into the stadium to race, they go there for the purpose of winning a prize. And so he says, run in such a way, win the prize. Now, I've run just a few races in my life. I was not built as a runner. My legs barely touched the ground. I'm not fleet of foot. I do not look like a gazelle when I run. I look like a spastic centipede when I run. It's not attractive whatsoever, but I've run in my lifetime one half marathon and three marathons. I entered every single one of those races with the intent of finishing it. I never started any one of them thinking to myself, I'm going to quit. Now, did I want to quit? Yes. Did I want to quit at mile 15 and 16 and 17 and 18? Did I want to quit at mile 24 and a half, absolutely, because every one of the races were hard. And only by the grace of God and the help of some partners running with me, I was able to finish. It was ugly and it was painful. For me, finishing the race was winning the race. 
When you begin your journey with Jesus Christ, the goal is to live your entire life for him. Some folks start off blazingly fast, but along the way they get disillusioned and somebody deconstructs the faith and they never construct it back together again. It is, it is not easy to run the race for Christ. There are going to be times when it's going to be painful. There are going to be times when it's ugly. There are going to be times when you want to quit. There are going to be times when there are questions that you don't get answered and you live with a bit of confusion. But Paul is saying the point of entering the race that God has for us is to run it all the way to the end. You do it depending on God's grace and you do it by leaning into the faith of others who have run before you and are running beside you. The goal of the Christian life, let me just say it again, is to run to the end. It's to persevere. Jack Packer was a practical theologian, and he has had significant influence on the Christian world, in particular by his classic book called Knowing God. J.I. Packer, if you're looking for a book to help you get established in Knowing God, I recommend J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. It is a classic, one of the great books. J.I. Packer lived a full life for God, and he lived all out for God all of his life. And when he was getting toward the end of his life, he said this. He says, runners in a distant race always try to keep something in reserve for a final sprint. And my contention is that so far as our bodily health allows we should aim to be found running the last lap of the race of our Christian life, as we would say, flat out. The final sprint, so I urge, should be a sprint indeed. So I'm going to get real specific for just a minute. I want to narrow in on the elders of our church. And I don't mean elders as a position. I mean those of you who are advanced scouts and following Jesus Christ. Are you running your final lap as if it were a sprint? Or have you decided that you're old and you're going to coast into eternity? Let me tell you something that is incredibly important to those of us who are younger than you. We are inspired to keep running through difficult times. When we look at you and we see that your faith is real and your faith is vibrant and it is sweeter as the years go by. And so let me just, let me just prove that to you. I'm going to take an informal survey. And the informal survey is for everybody that is under the age of 60. By show of applause... How many of you are inspired by older adults who have a vibrant faith? One more question. How many of you have said of some of them, when you grow up, you want to be like them? Show of applause. This past week, I was walking through the church building, and there was a gathering of not too many of our members in the life of the church with one of our staff members, and they were spending some time thinking about some 
community group and Bible study curriculum that we want to launch for our church in the future that's going to help us know how to live in an ever-changing world, in a post-Christian society, and how we can do our part to be instruments that win people to faith in Christ. And these individuals meeting with a very young staff member would be in their 70s and 80s. And here they are huddled up and on a Zoom call, thinking together, strategizing together. They are well up in their years in terms of their experience with Jesus Christ. They're not coasting. They're not dialing it in. They're not holding back. They're saying, we're going to run the race to the end to win. And they are for us inspiration. And I'm telling you, you are never too old to inspire someone younger than you to give their life fully all out for Christ over the long haul. If we're going to give our best to Christ, we must run to the end to win. And the second thing is this, we have to practice self-control. Whenever I was in high school, I had an algebra teacher by the name of Keen C. Van Orden. I didn't realize it at the time, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And he taught this group of freshman algebra, and he would often call us a bunch of big babies and lazy laggards. And he would often say to me, specifically, Mr. Meese, self-control is a virtue. And evidently what that meant is I was not behaving in class and he wanted me to know that there was this greater virtue out there called self-control. Little did I know that he was quoting from Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruit, fruit of the Spirit. But self-control, not just in an algebra class, but especially in life, is incredibly important. Paul says, verse 25, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So go back to these athletes in the Isthmian Games. They submitted themselves to this really rigorous and strict program of training that had very strict diets. They had to abstain from alcohol and sexual intercourse as they were getting ready for the meat. They practiced self-control. And Paul is saying this, using that metaphor, if you're going to run all out for Christ, if you're going to do your part to run your leg of this generational race, practice self-control. What is self-control? The word self-control simply means strength within. It means I have the ability to resist overindulgence and strength to say no to impulses and immediate gratification. Self-control means saying no because I have a deeper burning yes. And let me give you an illustration that's just very earthy to say that we all know about doing this. How many of you have ever planned to go on vacation and you were going to go to the beach and you knew that you were going to have to change your diet if you were going to go to the beach and feel better about yourself. Show of hands. You ever done that? Yeah. How many of you ladies, a wedding's coming up. You're in the wedding. 
What do you do? You change your eating habits because you want to look your very best. How many of you guys are gone to a class reunion and you want to show up and you want to be studly brain dead like you were before back when you were in high school and so you start doing things differently? You said no because you had a deeper burning yes. All of those were image related. Paul says we're to say no because there is a deeper burning yes within us. And to say no means two things. It means we say no to sin. And I recognize whenever I say the word sin, there's some of you that, that might be thinking, man, you're getting all judgmental on us. And, and, and no, I'm not. I'm just, let me just state the reality. Every human being has a bent within them to sin. Sin is basically saying, I'm God of my own life. I control my own life. And sin is basically saying, God, I push you to the edges of life. Don't really need you. Not going to listen to you. Sin at its essence is saying, I choose anything before God. Paul says this in Titus chapter 2. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's speaking of Jesus. It teaches us to say what? No, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us, uh, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And we all said, amen. That is exactly right. So, grace empowers us to say no because grace is looking towards the greater yes which is Jesus and his glorious return so my question for me is this are there sins in my life that I find myself susceptible to more than others what about you are there things that you find yourself most susceptible to, and in order to battle them, in order to say no to them, you have to know the strategy of the enemy, and this is the strategy of the enemy. He will come to you at your weakest moment, and your weakest moment at times will be when you are sad, and so you're going to do something in order to change the feeling, or if you are lonely, or if you are hurt, or if you are tired, or if you are bored, or oftentimes on the tail end of a great success. In order to win the battle, in order to say no for a greater burning yes, you have to be willing to say no to sin. John Owen, the great Puritan, said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's no neutral ground. I can't be indifferent to that. I have to practice self-control. Self-control means saying no to sin, but self-control also means saying no to things that aren't necessarily bad, but they aren't really helpful. Can you think of anything in your life that isn't necessarily bad, but you find yourself saying yes to it, and it's keeping you from living flat out for Jesus Christ. Can I help you with an answer? Two words, 
social media. That's one. Nothing wrong with social media, but social media is addictive and it can cannibalize so much productive time. So just take an honest assessment. I did this this week. What do I find myself doing by impulse or overindulging in that's keeping me from running to win? Again, not necessarily bad, but it's not actually, not actually helping me. Writer of Hebrews gives us some encouragement when he says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can you and I say no to things that are sinful and things that aren't helpful? We remember that we are not running the race alone. There are those who have gone before us, We've got Jesus who is out ahead of us, and we've got the Holy Spirit who lives with inside of us, who produces the spirit and the fruit of self-control. If you're going to run to win, you got to run to the end. you got to practice self-control, and third of all, engage in spiritual disciplines. Engage in spiritual disciplines. Paul says, verse 26 and 27, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. Or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. I actually enslave my body so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's saying this, I don't want to do anything in life that would disqualify me from having God's influence on other people. Paul had just said right before the text that we looked at, I have become all things to all men in order that I might win some. Paul's desire was to see people come to faith in Christ. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to run to the end. I'm going to practice self-control. I'm going to engage in self spiritual disciplines, because I don't want to be disqualified in any way from having the opportunity to have greater influence for people for Christ. What are spiritual disciplines? They're simply some basic practices to help us grow. Kenneth Boa put it like this, by practicing spiritual disciplines, we place our minds, our temperaments, and our bodies before God and seek the grace of his transformation. In this way, we learn to appropriate the power of kingdom living. And there, there are at least 20 different kinds of spiritual disciplines that Christians over the centuries have practiced. And I'm not going to go deep into those, but let me just tell you about some of them. Richard Foster talks about inward spiritual disciplines. These are things like meditation and prayer and Bible study and fasting and journaling and silence and solitude. And then he talks about outward disciplines like simplicity, like submission to others, like acts of service. And then he talks about corporate disciplines like confessing our sins to one another, worshiping together, receiving guidance from fellow members of the faith, celebrating 
the goodness of God together. Now, the point is not you need to get out there today and do all 20 of these if you're going to run to win. The point is none of us practice all of these perfectly, and none of us will practice all of these at the same time. And there are some of us who will find ourselves needing to practice some disciplines more than others based upon where we are in our journey. Again, going back to Ken Bowie, he says, the disciplines of the faith, these spiritual disciplines are never ends in themselves, but a means to the end of knowing, loving, and trusting God. As we implement them in a consistent way, we cultivate holy habits. As these habits grow, they guide our behavior and character in such a way that it becomes more natural for us to live out our new identities in Christ. Our daily choices shape our habits. Our habits shape our character. Our character, in turn, guides the decisions that we make in terms of facing stress, temptation, and adversity. And this is what I used to think about spiritual disciplines is whenever I think of the word discipline, I think this, ugh. Isn't that the way you are? Like you need to do some exercise. Some of you go, ugh. Or you need to eat differently, and all of us say, ugh. Or when it comes to praying or reading the Bible or fasting, a lot of times what you think is, this is just a bunch of drudgery. But spiritual disciplines aren't about drudgery at all. They're really all about a means to greater freedom. Elizabeth Elliot had it right when she says this, freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive when in fact freedom is not at all the opposite but the final reward of discipline. If you're looking for greater freedom in your running the race for Christ, practice spiritual disciplines. So what have we said? Run the race to the end to win. Practice self-control. Engage in spiritual disciplines. And then finally, keep your eyes on the prize. The athletes in the games that Paul was referring to were not aimless they didn't run all over the track. They didn't stop and start and then run backwards. They weren't aimless in what they were doing. They were very focused, and their focus was what? We're going to win. Winners in those days had a motivation. Here was the motivation. If you won the Isthmian Games, this is what you got. You got free, tuition-free education statues of yourselves erected along the roadway to the stadium, lifetime exemption from paying taxes and serving in the military. But that wasn't really the thing that the athletes ran for. They ran for the coveted celery wreath crown. I don't know about you, I don't like celery. Tastes like crunchy dirt to me. And then to have like celery wrapped around your head, and this is like the ultimate. I've trained for 10 months straight. I've abstained from all of these kinds of things just so I can get some celery to put on my head. The point, 
I'm sorry, I just have a little bit of a weird sense of humor. That's kind of what I thought when I it was like, well, that's really interesting. But it's just like winning the Lombardi trophy, except the, the, the celery wreath had no monetary value whatsoever. Super Bowl ring, Lombardi trophy, big deal. It isn't so much these athletes do that for the monetary value of what they receive. They do it because they will be in a position to be known as the best of the very best. And Paul is saying this, these guys competed for something that would wilt in a very short period of time, and they give their entire lives for it. What about us? We're not going to get at the end of our lives some kind of wilted celery wreath. We're going to receive an imperishable, indestructible crown of eternal life. That's the reason we run. Paul put it like this. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. In In a similar fashion, Paul says this to Timothy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And goes on to say, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but all those who have loved his appearing. If those athletes would practice running to the end and self-control and self-discipline for something that was so temporal, how much more do we give ourselves for that which is eternal? When you think about what God is offering us, I wonder at times why we settle for cheap substitutes. Something that is less than the abundant life that God has to offer. Have you ever wondered about that in your own life? Why have I settled for less when God has so much to offer? C.S. Lewis had some thoughts about our lazy boy attitude towards running the race. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, and let me just say the ultimate reward is to stand in the presence of the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who willingly poured himself out so that we could have life poured into us, to stand before him and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. What about you? What have you allowed to please you and to captivate you that is so far below what God wants? Because you see what God wants for us is he wants us to experience a life that wins in the end. 
He wants us to know eternal life here and now and to be able to embrace it fully in the days to come. I have to run my leg of the race, of this generational race. Nobody can run it for me. I am responsible before God to run to the end to practice self-control, to engage in spiritual disciplines, and to keep my eyes on the prize with God's strength and with God's power, I can do that. And yet, I don't run for just me. It isn't just about my individual race. It's for those who do not yet know Christ. It is for those who I will hand the baton of faith on to them in order that they can keep on running their leg of God's race. With God's help, may we run to win. But let me just say this. Some of you are running, but you're running in the wrong direction. You've taken a wrong turn. You have allowed yourself to be distracted and detoured. I read about this race that happened in Illinois, and uh, there were these uh, there were these two Kenyan racers, Elijah and Luke, and they were they were on record, they were on pace to set a record marathon at the Quad Cities Marathon. And what happened is they were following a bicycle that was out in front of them. And the bicycle at one point turned off the main course and began going off course. And these Kenyan racers, although they had been taken through a preliminary kind of Uh, gathering to say, this is the course of the race. This is where you will see the, uh, the guide for the race. This is where the flags will be. This is where the cones will be. Although they had been taken through, this is the course of the race. They mistakenly followed the guy on the bicycle. And what happened is they found themselves disqualified from the race. Some of you are running your life right now, and you have been following somebody or something or some value or some worldview or some inner impulse or overindulgence off course. And the only place that you're going to find yourself at the end is in a place of despair and despondency and defeat. When all along, God's saying, all I want you to do is to stop running your race, turn around, be caught by Jesus who is running after you, and then join him in the race that he has set before you. It isn't about being perfect. It isn't about you doing all of these things first. Everything that I've talked about is for people who already know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, all he's looking for is a willingness to say, I'm off course. I want to run with you, Jesus. Would you take control of my life? I offer it up to you on this day. If you'll do that, he promises to give you a life that is abundant, and we'd love to help you take your next steps. Let's pray. God, you want us to run to win, and we are grateful for that. You're going to help us persevere to the very end. You put people of faith around us and before us. You've got the spirit inside of us. Jesus is the prize that we are running to. God, would you help us to run flat out? Would you help us not to be distracted by anything? 
to not go off course, but to follow fully after Christ. And I pray for individuals who this day recognize that where they're running is, it's, caught, it's just caused them to, to know that they're lost. And they're on a broad pathway to destruction. And they are made aware on this very day that they, they want to get on the right path. And I pray that you would draw them to faith in Jesus so that they could run to win as well. Help us to run our leg of the race in this generational relay for the sake of the generations to come. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you all said, amen. What an incredible message today. My hope is that you are blessed by the message and our time spent in worship. We really appreciate you joining us online. This time always goes by so quickly and we'd love to connect with you even more. Would you do us a favor? Would you reach out and let us know how you're doing, what's going on in your life and how we can come alongside to support you. And those aren't just empty words, we really mean it. The fastest way to connect is by visiting pleasantvalley.org connect. So wherever you are today, just know that we are so glad you've joined us, that you're not alone and that you are loved by God.